What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here as we usually do. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing pretty well tonight. A little bit sleepy. Uh, we got a little bit of an extra late night record going on. Um, just finished watching a terrible football game between the Carolina Panthers and the Tampa Bay Bucks, but uh, it's only more proof that the best sport in the world is basketball. So... <laughs> Uh, we're going to be talking Utah Jazz tonight. Definitely a team that I'm personally very high on and uh, excited to have our guest on tonight. It is Hu Tran of the uh, Jazz High Notes, Hitting the High Notes uh, Jazz Basketball Podcast. How you doing tonight, Hu? Uh, you know, doing all right. You know, it's late tonight, but uh, we get to talk basketball. So nothing, you know, it doesn't get much better than that. Here we go. Yeah. And your team is in a great spot. You got a lot of reason to enjoy talking about basketball. We want to start on, we're going to focus the on the off season and looking ahead to next year, but we want to start with recapping a little bit of last season and what you feel like you can take from last year and move ahead to next season with. Last year it was a 50 and 32 record, seemed to run into Houston every single year. But what were some of your takeaways from last season? Well, yeah, it, it was a kind of a, a do-over year for the Jazz because um, the not this last offseason, but the offseason before, the Jazz kind of said, you know what, let's run it all back. You know, uh, they ran into Houston two years ago. Ricky Rubio got hurt after playing very well against the Thunder in the first round. The Jazz uh, upset, you know, Paul George, Russell Westbrook, and that, and with a rookie Donovan Mitchell leading leading the way, and so they felt pretty good about the team. There were not that many. Big free agents in that offseason. Obviously, everybody was waiting uh, for this last offseason to uh, make a splash. So the Jets pretty much brought the whole team back. Um, and they played really well. There were a lot of high hopes going into this uh, last season. The Jazz were, you know, a lot of places were saying they could be second in the West. Um, obviously, um, it wasn't really injuries. It was just some chemistry things kind of came into play. Um, Ricky Rubio kind of um, uh, went back to his old ways. Not, he wasn't able to uh, really stretch the offense for the uh, offensively, I guess, for the Jazz. So the Jazz uh, ended up with the fifth seed or um, and ran into Houston again after some, like Denver, Portland, and a few other teams played a little, little bit of chess near the end of the year to try to get their seeding. And everything just kind of, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if you guys remember the last night of the season, uh, Portland was trying to lose. I think Denver was trying to lose the Thunder and everybody that was trying to lose actually won. And the Jazz ended up playing Houston in the first round. 
Yeah, Portland was trying to lose, but the Kings didn't let them. I uh, remember that well. Me and Brendan actually watched that one live um, at G1C. Not It wasn't a home game, but we were actually at Sauce. It's a great barbecue place down there. And uh, it was pretty grim. Uh, Anthony, Anthony Simons and uh, oh Gary Trent <laughs> Some Jr. Caleb Swanigan names. Uh, clown in us. I think Simons had like 40 in that game. I, I, it was rough stuff. But, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right that Utah has I, – I like that run-it-back theory for last year. And and they did, and they did a pretty good job. I mean, it's a 50-win team. You know, I, I get that it's a it's a fifth seed that they got out of it. But, again, I mean, a fifth seed in this historically strong West is, you know, nothing to sneeze at. Uh, I'm pretty impressed by the team, and they, you know – I actually the first the first uh, article I ever wrote about the NBA was about Donovan Mitchell in that series against the Thunder that you referenced two years ago. Um, I wrote it and I didn't have anywhere to put it or submit it or I didn't have anyone to send it to, so I, I didn't know what to do with it. And that's when I realized I should probably focus on the Kings and and focus on my local community, uh, and that worked out for me. But um, yeah, Mitchell is a sight to behold, and he's obviously got. Uh, uh, one of the best defensive players in the league alongside him there in Gobert. And really this team is full of advanced level role players. But um, yeah, I mean, aside from what we've already discussed, they just seem to be doubling down on that slightly older professional uh, upper echelon role player, but not elite. Like So, so Mike Conley, right, is going to be a great example of that. How excited are you to have Mike Conley on this team now? Uh, personally, so Mike Colley is a guy that jazz fans have, well, there a certain segment of jazz fans are split on him, but, uh, from talking with team officials and everybody, the jazz have been trying to get Mike Colley for a couple of years now. And, uh, the pieces finally came together and they were able to get, uh, Mike Colley and he's going to help the jazz offensively. Um, he's older. He's, he's in his mid thirties. Uh, he still has, you know, a $30 million contract, which is, um, going to hinder the Jazz cap space wise, but the Jazz aren't going to be big free agent players in the next two free agencies anyway. So that's not a huge deal. Um, his age is concerning, but he did, he did also, um, uh, Mike Conley did have his best year in Memphis just last year. So, uh, it doesn't look like the wheels are going to fall off anytime soon. If you give somebody, uh, if you give Donovan Mitchell a backcourt partner that can handle the ball, um, and take the defense just right now. Defenses collapse the paint because Donovan, um, uh, just drives and he's very creative near the rim, but defenses are starting to just pack the paint because the Jazz didn't have enough spacing, didn't have enough creativity, uh, as you saw in the Houston series twice. Uh, if the Jazz, um, uh, don't hit threes, uh, they're not going to win games. So, um, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Mike Conley. He's going to be a really good addition, I think. He's a, he's a good playmaker. He's a smart player. Very good at pick and roll. Uh, he's a pretty good defender. He used he he did have an all defense um, uh, NBA team, second NBA team, I believe, uh, on his resume. Um, and he's still a pretty good defender. The Jazz they make their money by playing defense. So as long as uh, as Mike Conley and Donovan play well in the backcourt defensively, it'll work out. Right. And what do you think about the package that you ended up giving up for Mike Conley? It felt like you kind of knew or had a good feeling that this is where he was going to end up. 
uh, I think that we had talked about it around the trade de- trade deadline as well. But you ended up get, ended up giving up Grayson Allen, Kyle Korver, Jay Crowder, the twenty third pick to Memphis, which they ended up swapping with OKC and turned that into Brandon Clark, and then a pick that looks like with the protections on it, is going to end up as a 2022 first. Do you feel like that was about a fair package, maybe more or less than you what you were expecting to give up for Conley? Yeah, so Grayson Allen, um, you know, he's young. Uh, he never really got into rotation with the Jazz. He did play a lot of uh, G League games uh, for the Jazz. He uh, luckily he scored like 50 points or 40 points in his last game with the Jazz, so that really helped his trade value. But there was just something about what he played; it just it felt like empty stats when he played. He didn't play against any any real competition. Um, I, I think that was an okay uh, asset to lose. Like he might blow up, but he also might not be in the league in three or four years. Uh, the guy has a very low floor, I think. Uh, Corver was great for the Jazz this year, uh, this last year, excuse me. Uh, he helped stretch the floor. Um, he helped, uh, even his gravity just pulled the Thunders away and opened the, the floor for the Jazz and they desperately needed some spacing. They just had no guys that spaced the floor. Jay Crowder, um, what he brings to the floor is not always, uh, he's a chucker. So it was nice because the Jazz had no one that would chuck. Unfortunately, Jay Crowder's percentages um, didn't match um, his confidence. So, uh, but the leadership that we, the Jazz lose uh, by losing Crowder is going to be felt. Uh, but those are small pieces. Like those are pieces that you can find in free agency. Those are pieces that you can find on the trade market. Those are pieces that you can develop. Um, losing the twenty-third pick was not a big deal at the time. Uh, it, it ended up being Brandon Clark because the Grizzlies, uh, I think moved up a little bit to grab him, uh, which was Brandon Clark. Uh, I had some guests who really love Brandon Clark and his metrics, but also a rookie, also a guy that doesn't fit the jazz timeline that doesn't fit the Rudy Gobert timeline, excuse me. Uh, and so it hurts to lose Brandon Clark, but it's also not a big deal. Uh, the big thing is that 2022, I'm a, uh, top six protected pick. Because I think that's going to be the first year of the the high school and the college players coming out, so um, it could be a big pick. It hopefully, hopefully the Jazz are good enough at that point that it won't be a lottery pick, or uh, it, hopefully it will be like in the late twenties. That's what the Jazz are thinking, at least. I love the trade because it's an example of a win-win trade. I think a lot of people try to put, uh, you know, a winner and a loser on every trade. I don't think that makes sense. Sometimes both teams win. Sometimes both teams lose, honestly. Um, and sometimes I think you got to just disqualify a trade. I, I think that the DeMarcus Cousins trade is one where sometimes uh, Kings fans will, will point to it as a, a winning of a trade. And that feels a little bit rough to me, a little bit icky because it involves a player getting injured. And so I think that's like a, a DQ, like, you know, it worked out well for the Kings, but I don't want to say that they fleeced anyone because, you know, I, I don't want to celebrate in any way DeMarcus's injury or anyone else's injury. Uh, but this is a win-win trade. I, I really believe that. Um, I am also one of those guys who's high on Brendan Clark. Uh, and, you know, I'm also a guy that's very high on Conley's fit for this Jazz team. I think it's a big improvement on Ricky Rubio. The spacing, as you mentioned early on, it's going to be a big deal. But 
I like what you said. Uh, you know, and one more point on the trade thing. I also think that it's it's hard to attach the player that's taken with the pick necessarily with the trade because the value going out for the Jazz is that 23rd pick. So whatever that you know, whatever the value of a 23rd pick is, that's probably what should be considered as part of the trade. Whether Brendan Clark. Uh, turns into a star or turns into, you know, a guy's out of league, whatever it may be. That's I don't think that's dependent on the trade. So getting to my point here, I really like what you said about the Rudy Gobert timeline. Uh, I've never heard that term before, but it's an interesting one. And I wonder how you reconcile the timelines on this team, because there are some really different ones here, because you've got 32-year-old Conley, 32-year-old Joe Ingles, you know, important players, valuable players, big parts of this team. Then uh, you have Gobert, who's 27, right in his prime. And you've also got uh, Donovan Mitchell, who's a young guy, I believe, uh, 23, 23 years old. Uh, just turned 23. So three very dis- different, disparate timelines there. How do you reconcile all that for the Jazz? Yeah, so um, uh, the Jazz have, have two timelines, basically. Uh, so I mentioned the Rudy Gobert timeline because right now, uh, after winning the second defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert is eligible for a Supermax contract coming up very soon for extension. Uh, so the Jazz have to decide if they want to build around Rudy Gobert and his Supermax or Donovan Mitchell coming up with his extension uh, in, the, in about a year or so. And so it's all coming to a head. And so the, the window for the Jazz to win kind of is right now because Donovan Mitchell is still on his rookie contract and has not signed his rookie extension yet. Uh, and Rudy Gobert could sign a Supermax, which as of right now, I think it's actually 50-50. I'm not sure. I mean, he, he looks great in the FIBA World Cup. But uh, for men, uh, Rudy Gobert's size, age starts to wear a lot faster than guys that are like Mike, Mike Conley, for instance. And so I think the Jazz have kind of shown that they're going to go on this quote-unquote Rudy Gobert timeline with their uh, picks they took. Uh, so they got, you know, an older Mike Conley in trade. They went and signed, uh, surprisingly to a lot of Jazz fans, Boyan Bogdanovich, uh, to a four-year deal. Uh, and so those guys are a little bit older. And so the core went from being Gobert, Favors, uh, Ricky Rubio, Mitchell, and Ingles to now it's going to be Gobert, Ingles, uh, Bogdanovich, Crowder, Mitchell. And three of those guys are over 30. So the, the Jazz see, this uh, spot with the Warriors were kind of out of contention, and this was their spot. They thought if they could bring in some people, change their offense up a little bit, this would be their time to strike in the next two years. Right, and it felt like that they were the favorites there for what was like a week when they made that Conley <laughs> trade, side bo- signed right. Boyan, and then all of a sudden Kawhi and PG to L.A., to the Clippers and then Anthony Davis to the Lakers a little while later. And it felt a little more complicated, but you mentioned Bogdanovich who was an extremely good player in his own right, uh, took over once Oladipo went down. He became the focal point of the offense in Indiana, but he doesn't have the same defense that kind of felt like the identity of the Jazz. You know, last year you were second in defensive rating and dead in the middle in offensive rating. How do you feel like he is going to change the play style and uh, really offense and I guess defense as well um, of this overall team. Is he going to be the four for this team as well? 
Well, yeah, um, obviously the Jazz and Prince Snyder have, um, uh, you know, since Prince Snyder has been coaching the Jazz, basically their main objective is to be a very good defensive team. And they have been for the past five years, you know, four or five years, they've been one of the best defensive teams. Part of that is because of Rudy Gobert. And part of it is because Chris Snyder's assistant is just very well designed. Uh, Bogdanovich, he's not known as a great defender. Uh, the thought here is that he'll probably start at small forward and we'll have Joe Ingles come off the bench. And Joe Ingles doesn't look like a much of an NBA player, but Joe Ingles is actually a surprising athlete that plays tough-nosed defense. So uh, if Bogdanovich can get just to be – if he's just an average defender – I think having the anchor back there, Rudy Gobert, will help. If, uh, we, we don't need individual defenders on the team. We need people who can buy into, uh, the Jazz need people who can buy into team defense. Uh, guys like Ricky Rubio, you know, sometimes got burned, but they got burned in a way that it was in the team defense, that it didn't put the team in a bad, uh, a, a bad way. Like if Ricky Rubio went for a steal and he gambled a little bit and he didn't get it, the Jazz were still defensively strong uh, because of the way that we play, the, uh, the Jazz play the defense. So, yeah, if Bogdanovich can just be an average defender, play good team defense, and buys into making sure that like, he doesn't take plays off. As, as, long as, as long as Quinn Snyder and the coaching staff sees that Bogdanovich is trying on the defensive end and not taking plays off, he'll be fine. He can stay in, uh, he can stay in the, the lineup. Um, I think when Bogdanovich first got signed for the Jazz, a lot of the team or a lot of fans thought that he might be the starting four. The more that we kind of look at it, we, it might be best to play him at the three for a little bit and have Joe Ingles come off the bench. Uh, Bogdanovich just, I mean, the, the, the West has a lot of powerful fours. You, you don't want Bogdanovich begging with them, uh, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and those guys for 48 minutes. Could he, could Bogdanovich Play those guys in small stretches, probably. Uh, as long as you know, as long as um, we help them out, and and Bogey knows that. I guess what I'm trying to say is, uh, the Jazz uh, defense is built on believing in the system. Uh, um, we, we've seen it when when Chris Tatum first took over for the Jazz. They had players like Ennis Cantor, uh, Favors, Hayward, Alec Burks, and Rudy Gobert. And guys that didn't play defense, Alex Burks and, uh, and his catcher were quickly taken out of rotation because they didn't buy into the defense. Uh, in game one against the Rockets this last season, uh, in the playoffs, excuse me, in game one, the Jazz got tore up because they tried to play a different style of, uh, defense by forcing, uh, James Harden to take floaters and not step back threes. And in the first game, it looked awful. And it, it, uh, Ricky Rubio and, and Rudy Gobert came out and said in the playoffs, you know, some of these guys are just not buying into what we're doing. Uh, from game three, uh, maybe even game two, game three, game four, the defense was a lot better. So as long as these guys buy into the defensive schemes, the coaching staff will be fine. Uh, Bogey is a great, uh, third banana, I would say. Uh, he showed that he could take over, uh, after, uh, Oladipo, uh, went down with injury and, Showed that he can carry an offensive load. For this Jazz team, we're not going to ask him to do that. The first, the first and second options were probably Conley and Mitchell. Gobert's known as only a defensive threat, but uh, with his screening, with Gobert's screening and Gobert's rolling, 
Uh, he's a pretty legit threat at the rim. He, he's a little more than just DeAndre Jordan, um, but it's still a threat. Like uh, he, he's a great screen assist. Gobert is a great screen assist player. And so Gobert and, and Bogdanovich could be the th- third, fourth option, depending, excuse me, depending on um, what uh, you're asking of them. So I think as a third or fourth uh, banana, Bogdanovich is a great addition for the Jazz. I couldn't agree more. I think that what this team needed most of all was uh, some more spacing at the one and some more scoring from the forward spot. And they went out and addressed both those needs uh, and absolutely got it done. I I said it before, I'm high on this team. And uh, they they definitely were my favorite in the West uh, for like that week until the Clippers stuff happened. Um, but they, uh, you know, I'll jump the gun here and just say they're my number two team in the West. I really do, do believe that I have them just ahead of the Nuggets right now. Um, but yeah, you know, I, am most of that, most of that confidence comes from the experience and, and the, the strength in the, of the starting five. I've got no questions about the starting five. Uh, you know, you mentioned some of the, you know, you, you definitely don't want Boyan defending more powerful fours, but I also feel like there's enough on it identity with this Jazz team that they can kind of force other teams to play on their level, and I'm not super worried about it. So definitely not interested in 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 pointing out any flaws in the starting five, but the bench is where some of the issues start to come into play. Um, I think losing favors might hurt them a little bit. Uh, maybe a lot. I, I don't know exactly, but Exum, I just hasn't popped. He's going into his fifth year, and he just hasn't returned that top ten uh, draft pick value. Nothing close to it. Uh, I like the signing of Ed Davis, but you know, outside of maybe Royce O'Neal uh, and Ed Davis, I'm just not loving a lot of what I'm seeing on the bench. Is there anyone that you would point to here to to prove me wrong? So, I mean, I, I kind of look at the rotation here and. Uh, so yeah, let's first talk about Exum because uh, Exum is a, a sore point here for the Jazz uh, because a lot of fans, you know, are disappointed because yeah, he's he's not going to get top five value. We we've, we we moved past that. He was a top five pick. He was a raw prospect. Uh, a lot of people hoped that he would reach his potential to be an also point guard. Now I think um, if you adjust your thinking and think of Dante Exum as maybe. Um, a good backup, a, a good backup guy who could play anywhere from point, cause he's six, six with a long wingspan. If he plays anywhere from point guard to, uh, small forward, uh, he could help you out really well. Um, two years ago, he played some great defense on James Harden in that, in that series. Uh, if he, if he, he might just be, become a defensive stopper that can handle the ball a, a little bit. Um, he may not be, you know, a torture from the outside or anything, but he can get to the rim. And um, uh, he can have a role as a role player. He's not going to be, you know, we, we've seen it. He, I mean, he's still only like 22, I, th- I want to say. He's, he's super young. So he can still develop all his skills. But I think if he just becomes a, a good role player, yeah, that, that'd be great. If he could just become a defensive stopper, uh, run, run the point every once in a while, play shooting guard. Great. Royce O'Neill. Um, is, I think he might be underrated uh, across the league, but he is—he's uh, a dog, man. The guy fights. Um, uh, he's undersized. Uh, there was a stretch last season where he couldn't miss threes. So he goes out there. He can be your small four. He can play 
he can be your small ball four. He can be your uh, your two guard. Uh, so that uh, that versatility really helps. Uh, Joe Ingles could go from being a starter to playing you know a little bit less minutes, but coming off the bench and playing against bench guys. So and Joe Ingles, I don't know how the rest of the world feels about Joe Ingles, but Joe Ingles, um, uh, he doesn't pay for a meal here in Utah. Let's just say that. Uh, losing favors does hurt. Losing favors, favors was a big part of this Jazz identity. Uh, he was, he was a huge defensive player. Problem is that you already had a center, you know. Derek Favors is a center and he played power forward for us. Uh, he gave up a lot of his minutes, a lot of his touches because he knew that the Jazz had Rudy Gobert. And so Favors is one of those unselfish players that, and, uh, he was the longer tenured Jazz man for a while. And so losing him does hurt. Signing uh, um, Ed Davis, excuse me. Signing Ed Davis to the the contract, the he signed for the mid level exception, which I was like shocked. Ed Davis is a good defender, a great rebounder. Uh, you're not going to ask a lot out of him offensively, but if he gets offensive rebounds and plays defense, that fits right in the Jazz mold. And then uh, Jeff Green, who I think will probably be the starting four again. You know, the guy signed for the vets minimum. You're not asking a lot of Jeff Green. You're asking him to come out there, score points when he can, maybe play with the second unit. Uh, but you're not asking him to, to be a, you know, 20 point scorer. You're asking him to be an eight point scorer, uh, to be a veteran presence out there. So you know, the Jazz bench kind of looks weaker, but, uh, they have some versatility. So they, they have guys that they could, uh, you, you can play Mike Colley with the second unit. You can play Donovan with the second unit. Uh, you don't have to just, I mean, they can play a lot of these guys, mix and match and, and find different lineups. And if they can bother someone defensively, they'll be fine offensively. They just want to figure out guys that they can, uh, guys to get mix and match and get in there and mess up the other team, other team's rhythm. Because, uh, I mean, the Jazz were not very good offensively this year and they got 50 wins. Uh, as long as their defense is fine, Quinn Snyder will figure out a way to, to win games. Are you currently paying off student debt, interested in improving your financial literacy, or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. Yeah, I've got a follow-up here about the the bench and about the role of, you mentioned Ingles maybe going to the bench, and that's really interesting. It's, it's something I definitely had not considered. Um, but, so, so okay, so let's take this one, one guy at a time here. Exum... You know, as you mentioned, I think when you remove the expectations of a top five pick from him, he does, you know, he, he loses a lot of the disappointment. And I agree he's a useful player, useful role player, but he is being paid probably too much as well. Um, he and, I, and I'll, I looked up his age because when you said it, I also he still feels very, very young. He's drafted at 18, but he did just turn 24. So, yeah, oh, still, yeah. So still young, but not like that crazy young where you're like, well, we don't even know what we have yet still. Um, I think, to, you know, 24 is around the age where you start feeling like, all right, we know what this guy is. 
Um, but I, I'm not I'm not trying to nitpick with you there because we also agree on Davis. Uh, Brennan and I both talked about him in the offseason as a great target for the Kings. We love Ed Davis. Problem is, again, you know, defensive role player, right? So looking down this list of guys off the bench, there are a lot of solid role players, but they all kind of have that same role. And I wonder where the scoring is coming from because while Joe Ingles, even if he were to be on the bench, he's I feel he's more of a spot-up threat than, uh, than, a, than a true creator. And I, I almost wonder if, would it make more sense to have have Bogdanovich come off the bench because he can kind of create his own shot. He can create all types of weird little looks, funky looks, mid-range looks if he needs to, uh, and facilitate a little bit as well, but probably not on the level Ingles does. But I wonder where the scoring is coming from on the bench. Yeah, so that, that, that could be a problem. Um, Ingles is actually, like, he ran a lot of pick and roll for the Jazz this year. Uh, part of it was necessity because the Jazz, did, just after Exxon got injured, didn't have ball handlers, but uh, he ran a very beautiful pick and roll with uh, Derek Favors. Uh, he's a pretty good ball handler. He's uh, he he he's surprisingly athletic. He's very, as they say, crafty, which is like the the buzzword for guys who are older and white. <laughs> so he's a very yeah. crafty player. Yeah. Um, Joe Ingles, uh, and again, I, I think they're going to stagger Donovan Conley minutes in the middle of the game. Like maybe Donovan gets the first break. Uh, and then when Conley gets to the bench, Donovan comes back out. That way you have one of those two players on the floor at all times. Uh, so that, that could be a good way to um, uh, get them minutes. Uh, not just minutes, but like to have them as the primary ball handler. Uh, again, Ingles is a pretty good spot-up shooter. Um, you know, two years ago, guy was leading the league in three-point percentage. So if you can generate those looks again without, getting, without overexerting him, uh, he's a very confident and very, uh, well, he, he, he exudes confidence and he gives confidence to the fans. When he puts a shot up, you all, almost always think, thinks it's coming in. Um, again, and you can, you can stagger Bogdanovich, Davis, and, um, uh, excuse me, Bogdanovich, Davis, and Jeff Green in, in that back court, in the front court too, uh, with the, if, if, they, if Ed Davis is your center, you can always have Bogdanovich or, I'm blanking Bogdanovich and Jeff Green, excuse me, as your power forward. So that's, that could be scoring there. I, I think the starter, I think the starters could be Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Bojan Bogdanovich, probably Jeff Green and then Rudy Gobert. But I think the ending lineup will be Bogdanovich, Ingles, Conley, Mitchell and Gobert. So I, I think if there's going to be scoring, it's got to come from, um, uh, the starters and mixing and matching the starters in with that second unit. I like that. I, I like that, uh, that take on the staggering. I, I definitely think that's going to be key. I like that you pointed that out, but I do kind of just want this jazz team. Cause I'm, I'm kind of cheering for them. I just want this jazz team to have one more like microwave score off the bench. Like even like Jamal Crawford, I feel like ha, just, just a guy. The same thing, him or Jay. Where are you? Yeah, t- yeah, no, go on, please. No, that's exactly what I was going to say is I don't know who the other two is on this team. Like Mitchell is that. Would you entertain the idea of, like like Rich was saying, a microwave guy, like a Jamal Crawford, maybe J.R. Smith. I mean, you'd have to cut someone from the roster, but there's names at the bottom that I feel like you could move on from. Would you entertain that? Uh, the Jazz? <laughs> the, the Jazz love Jamal Crawford because Jamal Crawford was the guy that uh, 
Joe Johnson um, uh, switched on to when he hit that uh, game-winning uh, floater against the Clippers uh, three years ago. So, uh, but the problem with those guys, the microwave guys, is that they have to be able to buy into the defensive culture. If you don't play defense, because uh, the Jazz had Alec Burks, which uh, is he on the Kings now, or did he go to the Thunder? He went to Golden State, actually. But I'll say, oh, as yes, a calendar, yeah. didn't you just have Kyle Korver, who isn't exactly defensive uh, capable at this point? Kyle Korver is actually a really good team defensive player. Like, um, like he may not be, you, you know, because the Jazz didn't ask him to play a lot of guys straight up. The Jazz asked him to funnel guys in to favors a Gobert. And, like, if someone got, if you're going to get beat, you want to funnel them to the right spots. And so, Kyle Culver played pretty good team defense for the Jazz. Uh, can Jamal, if Jamal Crawford or one of those, like, these microwave guys come in, they have to buy into the defensive culture. Uh, I, I mean, I, I saw like a broken record, but that's just what it is. The Jazz make their bread and butter playing defense. And, uh, the Jazz have traded away guys who didn't believe in that. You know, very, very good offensive players. And this catcher, for instance, uh, didn't buy into it, uh, during, uh, during, uh, Ruby, excuse me. And this catcher didn't buy into it during Rudy Gobert's rookie year, and catcher eventually got frustrated with his playing time and asked for a trade. And the Jazz were happy to oblige, uh, in addition by subtraction. So, um, excuse me, my voice is going out. Uh, but yeah, I think the, the Jazz could get a record score. Um, Dennis Lindsay's always wheeling and dealing. The Jazz have made a trade, I believe, either during the draft or, um, at the trade deadline in each of his years as the GM and now the vice president of operations. So if the Jazz come out slow and the Jazz are sluggish and the Jazz don't have enough scoring, I think you can see the, the Jazz look for, look for a way to get another score on the team. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And another question I have is, what is the role for Emmanuel Moutier here? Is he kind of a backup if Exum doesn't work out or do you think that they could share minutes? Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, that was one of the the sightings that really nobody saw coming uh, in the jazz media. There's a lot of beat writers, a lot of people are going, whoa, Moutier, like we had no idea he was even on the jazz radar. Um, we don't know if that meant that Exum was no longer going to be the backup point. So here's the thing, Moutier signed for a veteran's minimum. If he doesn't play, so what, you pay, you pay him the veteran's minimum. Uh, Moutier said he wanted to come to the Jazz because of the culture here and the Jazz. Uh, he was, he believed in the Jazz system to uh, help young players like himself. Uh, we haven't really heard a lot from Moutier that, you know, the offseason. Training camp hasn't started yet. He's, he's a wild card. Uh, could he be the backup point if they move, uh, Dante to be the backup, uh, shooting guard behind, uh, Donovan Mitchell? Could he, could he be a breaking case of emergency because Dante Exum has had injuries in the past? I, I really don't know. Moutier is, uh, is, is an X factor. He's a wild card because we have no idea what they're going to do with him. Uh, cause he's not making any money. Like they're, they're not really obligated to pay it, pay him because he's making the minimum. He doesn't really count against the cap. It, it doesn't hurt the Jazz to not play him. But if he does have something, the Jazz will call out, call out a role for him. Uh, it, it might be backup point guard. Cause like I said, I think Dr. Exum might be better suited playing a two or a three that has, uh, limited, but, um, uh, is available to handle the ball. 
So Mbibier might be better fitted, better suited for the Jazz to play point guard, or he might just be the third point guard the Jazz have just in case an injury happens. Yeah, fair enough. And, you know, Brendan mentioned it as well, just the the guys on the end of this roster, um, genuinely I haven't heard of a lot of them. And that's that's coming from a couple of guys that have done a podcast about uh, deep second-round picks. Um, we uncovered a lot of names. Yeah, no, exactly. But for some reason, like, all these guys just didn't end up on our radar. Um, even the guys around him, Brennan pointed out, the guys that, that were picked around them, we kind of know. But, um, yeah, I mean, do you do you have any I, – I, you know, you probably haven't seen much of them. But, you know, no one has in the NBA, in an NBA setting. But uh, Mieoni, uh, uh, Mieoni I, I, I'll just hit that a little bit harder. Stanton Kidd, William Howard – uh, Jarrell Brantley, Justin Wright, Foreman. Um, you know, I do know Tony Bradley, but obviously he hasn't gotten much playing time either. <laughs> These are all <laughs> deep developmental guys, right? Uh, Tony Bradley is a he's a, he's a thorn to my side on my podcast. <laughs> uh, he might be the be- he might be the backup big, but the problem with Tony Bradley is that I haven't seen anything from him in the three or four years he's been with the Jazz, even in the G League. He just doesn't have a game that seems like he's suited to play uh, in the NBA. So I would, you know, I, I just, he's there, but I, maybe he's a trade chip. I, I really don't know. Uh, yeah. So the jazz had three second round picks this year, but they were, uh, some of them they bought, they, they bought into the second round to get some of these guys like Drell Brantley. Uh, Drell Brantley was a guy that ESPN didn't even have any information on him. So you would go click on his name and they had a very, they had a very small profile of what he did. Uh, Mia Oni is a guy that scores a bunch of, um, uh, we talked about uh, on the Hitting the High Notes podcast as someone who might make the roster, and he did. Um, again, it's just another guy that's a, a breaking case of emergency. He, he scores a lot, but, uh, I'm not quite sure we'll see more. I, I can't, I don't even think he signed a two way. I think he just signed a regular contract with the Jazz. So, um, I'm trying to figure out, I can't remember. There was a guy, I think William Goss or, who did you say uh, again? Give me the names again. Yeah, I believe that's Nigel Williams Goss. Um, he looks like he's on a real uh, NBA contract there. Then Jarrell Brantley and Justin Wright Foreman are the two-way guys. Yeah, William Goss was a, a second-round pick from a couple of years ago that they sent overseas. Uh, that was another surprise when, the, when they brought him in. Um, it's one of the things that like I have to believe in the Jazz front office. Because they haven't really made a lot of bad moves, and so when they do a move like this, it makes me, it makes me think like, okay, they saw something. You know, this is a guy that they've had on their radar. They drafted him. They sent him overseas to get some uh, more seasoning, and now they're bringing him in on a contract. So, I mean, they they could have used that contract uh, to get an older veteran or something that has been around the league. But this is a guy that they've scouted. They've uh, pretty much um, uh, uh, planted and, and grew themselves. And so it's interesting. It was interesting when he got signed because I, I think there's a lot of players, like I thought maybe the Jazz might sign Jeremy Lin. Uh, but they, instead of going the Jeremy Lin route, they, they signed Williams Goss. And so it's interesting. And maybe the front office just knows something. And it's one of those things that, you know what? The front office has, has hit like on 90% of their moves. Uh, since uh, Dennis Lindsay became GM and 
you know, he's moved up and Justin Zadok is now the GM of the Jazz, but they work very closely together. It's one of those things that as Jazz fans, we say, okay, well, let's see what happens. Like, Royce O'Neal was a guy that a couple years ago was not even on the roster, got the training camp, the Jazz gave him a contract, and a lot of people were like, whoa, that's weird. Why, why would they cut Joe Ballenboy, who was in a position more of need, uh, who they gave a uh, million dollars to as a second round pick? Why would they cut Joe Ballenboy for Royce O'Neal? And now Royce O'Neal is a, you know, the sixth man or seventh man off the bench. So they, they, they haven't had that many missteps. And so as jazz fans, as jazz media, I think it's one of those we just kind of wait and see, and hopefully it works out. It's a, it's a low-risk, uh, possible medium-reward type thing. Right, and it's good to be able to trust in your front office. And Rich and I realized something that, a lot of these guys seem to be from pretty prestigious colleges, some Ivy League schools. Mie Oni was from Yale. Um, Justin Wright Foreman's from Hofstra, I believe I'm saying that right. Gerald Brantley's from Charleston. So there's something to be said about having smart players. Like you said, even if you're not a good defender, if you can be intelligent and keep them out of the middle, send them towards Gobert, you can bring something to the team. But uh, moving on to some of the questions that we usually ask everybody here, who do, would you expect to take a big step forward next year? I feel like Mitchell's an obvious pick, but there's also, I guess, some question marks there because now he's going to be sharing a role a little bit with Mike Conley. He's not going to be what feels like the primary playmaker in a way, if you feel like that's accurate. Um, so here's, uh, maybe, maybe this is a cheat, but, um, uh, is Rudy Gobert, um, uh, going to take another step because this guy keeps getting better every year. And we saw, we saw him win the defensive player of the year last year. And so I don't know, like, um, uh, will it be, uh, Rudy Gobert again? Because he's had a, a wonderful, wonderful, uh, FIBA World Cup. And so he, he's great. Uh, he played very well against the United States. Um, if Rudy Gobert is the number 14 player on the SI Top 100, and he might put himself, I think he's going to get the all-star bid because he was kind of, um, what's the word? He was kind of uh, uh, wronged by the coaches, I guess, by not voting him into the, uh, the all-star game this year. So as a two-time defensive player of the year, I think Rudy Gobert um, has a chance to make, take that step in maybe become an MVP candidate. I mean, it would be very unlikely, but, you know, there was a chance that if he, if he turns some heads that, um, uh, the Jazz move as, as well as he do, as, as Rudy Gobert does. Now, Rudy Gobert has to stay healthy. Uh, last year he played 81 game, 81 regular season games, and he only sat the last game because the Jazz had nothing to play for. Can he do that again? Because I know talking to some Jazz personnel, they didn't want to trade favors because when Rudy Gobert is out, favors could step into that center role and be just fine. Uh, can Ed Davis do that? Not quite sure. But um, uh, if Royce O'Neal uh, goes from being a really good role player to becoming you know a borderline starter, that'd be great. Again, Royce O'Neal can play. He's probably the backup two, but what if he becomes the starting small ball four for the Jazz? And then, uh, you move Jeff Green, those guys to the bench. Uh, Rose O'Neill, um, is not just, you know, he, he's a, a great defender. And if his shot's on, uh, he, he's a very good outside shooter as well. And so Rose O'Neill is probably another guy that we can look at to, 
take a step forward. And if XM just stays healthy and plays well and becomes a defensive stopper uh, and shows some offense, and he takes a step forward, if he becomes just a defensive stopper, that'd be great for the Jazz because um, I think the Jazz feel confident that he could play James Harden one on one, which sounds crazy, but there's not that many players that you can say, hey, you know, we can put Dante Exum on and limit their production. Yeah, the O'Neal point is another great point. I'm glad you brought it up. I know that I fall into the trap a lot of the times of just thinking, all right, who's the best five guys in this team? That's the starting lineup. Um, it's easy to do, but as you mentioned, you know, there's going to need to be some staggering among the scorers on this squad. And yeah, O'Neal is a pretty appealing option at three. Uh, at least for me, I've been on the record as not the biggest fan of Jeff Green's game. Uh, I think he just lets you down uh, when you need him the most at times. But, you know, and then he surprises you. So he's an up and down guy. Maybe O'Neal give you a little bit more consistency there at the three spot if you move Ingles to the bench. Uh, but, yeah, we also want to try to figure out any guys that might be taking a step down. And uh, there's a natural uh, inclination to go right back to Ingles or Bogdanovich if they play a little bit less. I know Bogdanovich really, his usage was very high last year, carried that Indiana team uh, after Oladipo went down. Uh, if Ingles goes to the bench, you'd probably see his numbers dip a little bit, even if his performance doesn't necessarily dip. But both guys over 30, uh, calmly as well, um, is probably not going to be taking as many shots as he did uh, with the Grizzlies also over 30. Anyone else that uh, would take a step back potentially here or any of those guys, any of those three you feel like might take a step down in production? What you said about Jeff Green was interesting because uh, I was like, oh, expectations. I have very little expectations for Jeff Green. I think he's a guy that plays like 18 minutes for the Jazz and, you know, they call it good <laughs> and, they're, and they're fine with it. So I thought, I was like, oh, I, I have no expectations for Jeff Green at all. Like, I hope he helps the Jazz in like 20 games in the season. And then after that, if he doesn't play well, cool, you pull him and you put somebody else in there. So I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do have my concerns. Uh, Ingles, Colley, Bogdanovich, all on, all over 30. Um, it, it's not a death sentence, but, you know, it does. Ingles, we kind of saw last year, took a step back. Like, he no longer was the efficient shot maker that he was in years prior. Um, I don't know if you heard the story, but last year, Joe Ingles found out that his, one of his uh, children has autism. So he was dealing with a lot of personal stuff. And so I wonder if that has anything to do with it or it was age. We don't, we, we really don't know. But if Ingles can take a step up, if not, he might, if he takes a step back, it does hurt the Jazz because he is um, one of the higher paid players on the Jazz. Um, he'll still be loved and he'll still get minutes and he brings more to the game than just his, uh, shooting ability. So, um, I'm hoping that he still, he finds a touch that he had from a couple of years ago. Uh, Conley, again, we talked about, you know, we talked about his age. He has some injuries concerns. Uh, that's why there are some Jazz fans who are a little worried about the Conley signing. Um, but again, if uh, if all goes well, great. But we do have to worry about maybe Conley will need to be um, uh, uh, load managed for his minutes. Um, if, if Mitchell, I think we're all expecting Mitchell to take a big step because of the feeble World Cup and everything. But that does mean he played a little bit extra basketball that some other guys didn't have to. Um, the, the knock on Mitchell is that he's inefficient, 
And last year, the excuse was because, well, who else is going to take those shots? Like Mitchell was put in a position to take a lot of bad shots because the Jazz had no shot makers, no shot creators. And this year, that, that excuse is not going to be there. They they got Mike Conley. They got Boyan Bogdanovich. Uh, they should have a better system. If he took in another like really inefficient season, uh, I think Jazz fans will start to freak out a little bit. Uh, it just depends on what kind of shots he gets, I guess. So. Um, yeah, so I think those are the. I think you guys hit the nail on the head. Like those are the guys that are most likely to have a step back. Um, Rick, uh, sorry, not Ricky. I don't. I keep saying Ricky Rubio. He's not on the team anymore. Rudy Gobert, uh, injury history. Hopefully, he doesn't get injured because uh, that's the one spot I think the Jazz can't replace. Uh, if 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 Rudy Gobert goes down for an extended period of time, that will be the hardest production to replace. Everybody else, I think, the Jazz has somebody they can put in there to uh, be a be a band-aid for a little, a little bit. And just to clarify on my Jeff Green comments, it wasn't that I'm expecting him to be, you know, super important or super valuable or super good. Uh, it's just that I, again, like, I'm so enamored by the five best guys in this team that to think of putting Jeff Green in the starting lineup with four of them just, like, freaks me out a little bit. Uh, because of the inconsistencies but but like you said if it's at 18 minutes a game or so that's not a big deal and and also as you mentioned there's guys behind him like axum could potentially play the three o'neill uh there's other guys there but again if you could just go over the basic you know starting five and the next couple of guys it's just a general question we like to give each guest right before we get into to wins and losses give us the base rotation for this team yeah, so I think the starting five will probably be Gobert, Jeff Green, Bogey, uh, Donovan, and Mike Conley, with Ingles, Exum, and uh, Royce O'Neal coming off the bench, and Ed Davis, excuse me, coming off the bench as like the next rotation guys, mixing and matching, kind of depending on where we need them. Uh, I think the ending five will be Conley, Mitchell, Ingles, Bogdanovich, and Rudy Gobert as the as the last five, like probably the last six minutes of the game. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey guys, just want to give you a quick reminder that if you like what you're listening to, we'd really appreciate a quick rating and review of the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're getting this podcast. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, we'd love to interact with you. We can take your questions, answer them on the podcast as well. That is at kings underscore pulse. We also got an Instagram, kings underscore pulse, and we are the official podcast of uh, Reddit r slash kings. We got a sticky thread on there if you want to ask questions. So we really appreciate it, and, and thank you very much for listening. Yeah, and one other thing before we get to hard numbers here, I like to identify storylines that I feel like you are kind of looking for, and it's usually progression in certain players games and I feel like we didn't talk about Donovan Mitchell enough 
Um, what are you expecting to see from him differently this year with, like you mentioned, him not having the primary creator and ball handler duties? Uh, so I feel one of the biggest knocks I have for Donovan Mitchell is that sometimes he has to press. Like he started off last season pressing a lot. Like I think he came in thinking, okay, cool. I'm the guy now. Like this is my team. Cause his rookie year, he was just his rookie year. He didn't think he was going to become the guy. And slowly throughout the year, it became more apparent that he was the guy. But he also had a Ricky Rubin who was shooting really well. He had uh, Joe Ingles who was shooting very well. So, but I think he came into last year pressing a lot. So he was doing a lot of uh, hero ball in the beginning of the year. So uh, during this FIBA World Cup, what did he learn? Did he learn a lot from Popovich? Uh, what is Mitchell going to do? What, what is his mindset coming into? Because he, he's a smart kid. He's a, he's a sponge. He absorbs. He, he has a lot of knowledge. Um, is he going to come in thinking, okay, this is the type of ball I play that like he can play hero ball as long as in the team aspect. Like if he when he drives, he can't just think I have to get to the rim somehow. If he sees an open guy, he's got to figure out how to pass the ball and um, like you know uh, make his game have gravity. Like if he's going to pull in three guys into the paint, that means two other guys are open somewhere. Uh, he needs to learn how to um, just run the team like maybe not a point guard, but as the main focus. And last year, uh, he, he figured it out near, uh, after midseason. I can actually point out the game. He figured it out. It was a, a game against Detroit in the Detroit. A fan was heckling him and Donovan Mitchell fourth quarter just exploded. After the game, he pointed at the fan and said, you did this. This is your fault because the Jazz came back and won that game. But, uh, yeah, Donovan just needs to figure out when he needs to turn on the hero ball and when he needs to be the guy that pull the defense away from other guys and create shots for everybody else. I love it. It's a great answer. Uh, really looking forward to seeing how, you know, a star is going to emerge amongst a, you know, a team that uh, plays team basketball. Like this is a very team oriented squad. Uh, but also you can tell Mitchell has the ability to be like a one man team if he ever needed to be. Um, uh, so let's get to that win and loss uh, prediction. Vegas has them at 54 wins. That's good for third in the West. Uh, does that feel high or low to you? I feel, I think the Jazz this year. So they haven't really been over 51 in a few years. So 54 is a big jump. Four, four wins from last year would be a big jump, especially when um, uh, Ricky Rubin is not a guy that you would offload or uh, load manage uh, the Jazz have three guys over 30 in their like, top five players because I, I don't know if my colleague is going to get load managed I don't know if the Jazz want to load manage uh, guys like uh, my colleague or even Rudy Gobert who is in his prime but again for, for big men you know injuries and stuff like that they, it wears down on them 54 seems a little high and uh, I actually had the Jazz being the third. I do have the Jazz being the third seed uh, behind the Clippers and the uh, the Nuggets. So I, I would say the Jazz get 55. I'd say it's a little low. Right. And- By the way, I, I got to say props for uh, not naming the Rockets the Lakers. Uh, I, I've got to. <laughs> 
Me and Brennan have uh, disagreements on the Rockets and the Lakers. No, I don't like the Rockets. Don't get me there, but I do like the Lakers, and that's only come playoffs. I don't think regular season. So yeah, that's that's the thing is that I think the Nuggets are built for the regular season because they're young. They have a lot of guys who are hungry. They don't. They only have Paul Millsap as someone who they might rest or who might get injured, and they can they can get through that. They have a good home. I think the Nuggets are going to be a team that wants to get that number one seed. Will the Jazz have games where they say, you know what, we're going to rest Conley and Bogdanovich this game because it's against, you know, the Knicks. We might lose it, but it won't hurt us. We feel confident that if we play the Nuggets in the, in the playoffs, we can beat them. And so seeding, seeding doesn't matter. And so the Jazz may not go, you know, we want to go for the first seed because, you know, you have to win on the road anyway. And the Jazz aren't going for home court advantage. So it's, it's one of those, like the Lakers. The Lakers are going to be uh, load managing LeBron and maybe Anthony Davis uh, a few games during the year. So let's, if, if one of those guys sits, how confident are we that you know Anthony Davis and Danny Green are going to win against the Thunder? You know, right? And I get what you're saying with seeding doesn't matter, and I feel like that's the case for first, maybe second round. But once you reach once you reach Western Conference Finals. In NBA Finals, it starts to matter a little bit more. So I, I mentioned it before that this team felt like the favorite before the Clippers came together. If you reach them Western Conference Finals, what's your sort of confidence level there? Uh, the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals? The Clippers. Oh, the Clippers? Clippers are tough. The Clippers are, they have not just, not only Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, but they brought that depth with them that they had that cure of debt they had last year. And so they didn't lose that many guys. They added a few more. Uh, they're going to have good chemistry. The Clippers are a tough team. Um, the Jazz, I don't know if the Jazz will match up that well against them. Um, we'll see if um, uh, the Jazz can uh, play to uh, play to their strength and, and get the Clippers to play out of sync. Uh, Paul George has not historically played that well in the playoffs against the Jazz. Uh, I mean, they did knock the Thunder out, out uh, and Paul George had that awful Game 7 against the Jazz, so uh, there's that, but um, yeah, I think the Clippers would be tough. I think the Jazz match up I think the Jazz match up pretty well against the, the Lakers even. Uh, I mean, if Anthony Davis Anthony Davis doesn't scare Rudy Gobert, I would say, like Anthony Davis might score 20 or 30, but if he's doing that, he's not um, getting the rest of the team involved, and so I think that's why the Jazz still confident against the Lakers. Uh, the Nuggets, I think the Jazz just have better matchups like Joe Kitchen, Gobert battle. And, uh, it's kind of an even battle. But again, um, if you take Gobert out of the equation, if you take Jokic out of, out of the equation, the Nuggets seem like a less scary team. If the Jazz, um, uh, let Jokic go off, I think they can still recover from that, if that makes any sense. Yeah, makes a ton of sense to me. I've got, uh, the Jazz is one of my three favorite teams to win it all. Um, I do have them just a hair behind the Clippers. I mean, really, if, if the Clippers are fully healthy, then they're my pick, and it's not close. But, you know, we have concerns about Paul George's shoulder. Uh, there are still lingering concerns about Kawhi and his ability to stay healthy. Um, and, and I also really like the Sixers because I love their length and their defense. I think it's built for the postseason as well. Um, but yeah, truly, I just, I'm incredibly high on this jazz team. I don't think that the Lakers can touch them. We know the Rockets can't touch them. 
in the postseason. Uh, and the Nuggets, as you mentioned, are are really more uh, regular season oriented, at least for now, until they get a little bit more experience. I also have questions about the Bucks' ability to close the deal. So, yeah, I mean, this is a team that I'm incredibly high on for right now. However, the question does come with, you know, as you mentioned, three of their starters over 30 years old. So the last question we usually ask is about projecting three to five years down the road. And for a team like the Jazz, maybe more than any other team in the league, maybe you don't want to think about too far in the future right now. Uh, maybe you want to work on, you know, savoring this year and, and seeing what these new veterans can add and, and seeing how far it can go. But, you know, let's let's move three to five years in the future here. Conley will be 35. Ingles, 35. May not even be with the team, either of them. Uh, you know, what are you seeing for this team down the road? They'll still have Mitchell, though, right? Right. So, as you said, the Jazz are they, – their window now is this year and next year before uh, all the money comes into play. Um, if Conley, uh, pl- plays well the next two years, who knows? Maybe he comes back, he comes back on a, a cheap veterans contract, uh, that, uh, that helps the Jazz out, uh, through transition. Draft pick wise, the Jazz only have their own picks. And so, and again, um, one of them is going to be going to the Grizzlies in that deal. So that's, that's not super helpful. What kind of changed this year for the Jazz though is that they became free agent they became a free agent destination. Oyan Bogdanovich chose them over the Pacers. Um, Ed Davis signed for a mid-level exception. Jeff Green and Emmanuel Mutile, uh signed for veterans minimum. Uh, that rarely happens to the Jazz. They, they signed because they thought the Jazz could be contenders. So that means the Jazz, you know, in a couple of years when Conley's money comes off the book, uh, Ingo's money comes off the book, uh, they won't have they, they won't have like max cap space, but they could have cap space that intrigues you know somebody who is maybe in their 30s an Al Horford type player not not Al Horford in three years but somebody like Al Horford who would take a discount to come play for a team that could be a finals contender every year so I mean the the, the Warriors were always a free agent destination the Jazz have very rarely been a free agent destination uh, this is their best offseason ever I don't think it was close I don't think they've ever had as many big signings as they did this year. And so it changed the game for the Jazz. The Jazz might become a, if the Jazz say they hit the Western Conference Finals at least the next two years or and make a finals appearance or even win the championship, that changes. It, it means that they can get guys. The Jazz won't have to overpay for free agents that they've usually had to do in the past. So if they can get guys on who are either take, uh, you know, market value contracts or even take a small discounts, that could change the, the lineup for the Jazz in three years when Rudy Gobert is on a Supermax and Donovan Mitchell uh, gets a second contract. Right. Makes sense to me. And I, I do have a bit of questions about paying Gobert an absolute Supermax. You touched on it with the injury history and all that, but I think that's Everything that we want to touch on, who we want to give you an opportunity at the end here to really plug yourself, your show, and anything else you got going on. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, little known fact, Brandon, um, uh, uh, you were the one that got me started into podcasting, really. Uh, it was your network. Uh, I applied for it, and you know, I was like, oh, I want to talk to Utah Jazz. And that partnership, um, uh, obviously, has still kind of continued. We, we don't have a network, but I mean, it's still nice to. So thank you for giving me that opportunity. 
to begin with. <laughs> yeah, man. There's plenty of people that stopped working. So it's definitely all on you. You've continued to work and it, it seems to be going well for you. But I, I'm glad I could have put you on a little bit, I guess. But a lot of it's your work, yeah. obviously. <laughs> so, yeah. So my uh, my co-host and I, Jared Barker and I, we uh, do the Hitting the High Notes Jazz podcast. Obviously, very jazz, Utah jazz centric. We, uh, we have guests who are either like really very knowledgeable Twitter followers, uh, uh, in jazz Twitter. And we just ask their opinions about, you know, the, the, the slap of my show is to get the pulse of jazz nation, no pun intended, and see what they're talking about and then have those debates in a more civilized manner. Uh, we also talked to just recently, uh, from the athletic Tony Jones. Uh, the Jazz Beat Writer. So that was a great episode if you want to check that out. Uh, we're on iTunes or Apple Podcast now, they call it Google Podcast, Stitcher, um, Spotify. Uh, you can look it up at Hitting the High Notes. It's a Utah Jazz podcast. And again, follow me at Jazz High Notes uh, on Twitter. And I'd love to talk basketball with anybody. So if anybody wants me to come talk to them, I will do it. Perfect. Yeah, thanks awesome, again, man. Yeah, thanks again, Who, and thanks to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. You hear from us again in the next couple days.